Good morning, everybody. Can you hear me okay? Awesome. Uh, thank you so much for joining us for our outdoor uh, baptism service today. I think it's going to be a really special day, and I'm glad that you can all be here with us. My name is Julie, and I'm one of the pastors here. Um, and I'm going to pray for us, and then we will jump into our message for this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the creator of all and that you have made each and every one of us uh, unique in our own ways so that we could worship you. And I thank you for this chance to worship you together this morning and to worship you uh, together with the people who are being baptized uh, as we head into that later this afternoon. In your name we pray. Amen. So when I was a kid, I was irrationally afraid of natural disasters. Uh, earthquakes, tornadoes, um, and all of the other things that you can imagine until my mom kindly explained to me that living in Green Bay, Wisconsin, it was highly unlikely that we would experience an earthquake or a tsunami or anything of that type. But the one that it continued to be afraid of was floods. And I'm not sure why. I'm not sure if we had some kind of like flash flooding event when I was a kid that just really stuck with me. But I was always so afraid of them because it felt like so big. Like, how would we get to safety if something like that happened? How, what would happen to our house? What would happen to our neighborhood? Uh, it just really stressed me out. I would lay in bed at night as a kid and think about these things. And the reason I bring it up today is because baptism, what we're going to be talking about today and what we're actually going to be going into the lake and doing later this afternoon, uh, is, gets compared to a natural disaster in scripture. And it gets compared to the flood in the story of Noah's Ark. Not in a bad way that younger me would have been terrified by, uh, but in a way that shows that baptism is a big, life-altering event in the life of a Christian. And you might be thinking, baptism, really? Just getting dunked in a lake is that big of a thing? Uh, and it, it, that's a fair question to ask. And in my preparation uh, for today, I was reading a book about baptism, and this quote really stuck out to me from it. So this is from Peter Lightheart, and he says, Don't be deceived by the simplicity of baptism. It's as world-altering as a global flood. And now, again, baptism is a flood that we don't need to be afraid of, uh, but it does signify a big change in our lives. That's the big idea that we're going to talk about today. Uh, and if you know this song, hopefully this, the idea will stick in your head. But baptism is the end of the world as we know it when we're experiencing it. So let's start by looking at 1 Peter 3, where Peter compares baptism to the flood in the story of Noah. I'm going to read it for you, but if you'd like to follow along on your phone or if you brought your Bible, uh, we're going to look at 1 Peter 3, verses 18 through 22. So 1 Peter 3, 18 through 22. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it only a few people, eight and all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism, that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. And I'm going to read verse 21 again, just so you can uh, hear it clearly. It says, And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. 
not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the word symbolize here means like a type of something. So something that comes before and sort of represents or, um, yeah, prefigures what will come later. So the flood is sort of like a type of baptism, he's saying, that came before it. And Peter says that the water baptism doesn't save you because it cleans you, because it removes dirt from your body, but because it gives you a clear conscience before God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So it's not so much a physical thing, the actual act of baptism, but it's about a spiritual thing, representing something that's happening in your life and in your conscience as you choose to follow Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior. So in the same way that the ark saved Noah and his family from death through the flood, Peter says Jesus and his resurrection saves us from death, and baptism represents all of that. It's kind of a crazy connection, right? The fact that something so long ago uh, could represent something that came later after Jesus came on the scene. It's one of the things that I love about the, the Bible is that it's all one big story of God where Jesus is the main character or the main um, center point that everything kind of hinges on. So there's another connection between the story of Noah's Ark and the idea of being saved by faith in Jesus and representing that faith in baptism. And that's that big idea that I mentioned. Both the story of the flood and baptism represent the end of the world as we know it. For Noah, the flood would have changed everything. Can you even imagine getting in an ark with your family and all of these other animals, uh, and you get out five months later to an entirely different world? Everything has changed. The people you used to know, the places you used to go to, everything's gone and completely different. And I'm guessing that Noah himself was different too. I think it would be pretty hard to go through something that big and not come out a different person on the other side. And baptism is similar. The Holy Spirit does a work in our heart to change us when we choose to follow Jesus. And as a result of being changed and of slowly becoming more Christ-like, it changes how we view the world. You probably have a different perspective on things than you used to, and the way you used to live your life might look different. It's a life-altering event, choosing to follow Jesus and saying, I'm going to follow him as my Savior and my Lord, and representing that through baptism tells us it's the end of the world as we know it, brings about a new way of life. So I want to talk quickly, I'm going to keep this pretty short because I know we've got the kiddos here with us, and really the baptism's the main event today. Uh, But I want to just highlight three things uh, in the ways that baptism and uh, putting our faith in Christ changes us. So first, Our old self dies. The way that baptism represents the end of the world as we know it is that we die to our old selves. Now, baptism is loaded with symbolism. Joel kind of already mentioned this. Uh, And one of the symbols it represents is death and resurrection. So when you go under the water, it symbolizes burial. And then when you come up, it signifies being raised to new life. Paul says this in Romans 6, verses 3 through 7 says, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. He says that when we put our faith in Christ and decide to follow him, like the people who are getting baptized today are doing, we die to our old selves and are made new in Jesus. But why do we have to die to our old selves? 
you might be thinking that sounds kind of extreme. Uh, or maybe you're thinking, I kind of like my current self. I don't, I don't know that I really want to die to it. Well, Paul actually goes on in the passage in Romans 6 uh, to say this. He says in verse 5, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we would no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who's died has been set free from sin. So here we get another analogy introduced by Paul. So if you're not a fan of symbolism or analogies, you can take it up with Peter and Paul. Uh, I'm, just, I'm just reading what they say. Uh, but here we get the analogy of slavery. He says that you were, we were slaves to our sin, our body was ruled by sin, and it was the thing that had mastery over us. It impacted everything that we did, every decision we made, every way that we lived our lives. So if, for example, uh, if you need to kind of visualize what that would look like or think about what that would look like, let's say the sin that you struggle with is pride. And let's be honest, I think that's all of us to some extent or at different points in our lives. Uh, but if that's one of the things, then you might find yourself uh, being so focused on things like, how can I be successful? How can I get people to like me? How can I be perceived as competent? And when you're thinking about that all the time, those things continue to roll through your brain, whatever it is you're doing, whether in your relationships or if you're at work uh, with your family, you're constantly evaluating, you know, how am I doing? Am I, am I being successful? Am I being perceived in the way that I want to be perceived? You're almost a slave to those thoughts and to those feelings that continue to cycle through. It's stressful, right? It's exhausting being enslaved to something that you can, can't break from no matter how hard you try. And I think this is true with no matter what sin that you might struggle with, whether it's pride or whether it's the other side of things, uh, anything that you can probably think of, you can find yourself getting stuck in this loop of feeling like, I can't get out of this thing. I keep getting pulled back into it no matter how hard I try to break it. And that's, in the, way, that's the way that we are enslaved to our sin. So like once you start, you just can't stop. You kind of continue on in this cycle. But through faith in Christ, we die to that sin. Pride and every other sin that you can think of, we're no longer slaves to it. It no longer has control over us. We've been set free. And none of this is through anything that we've done, but it's all through the grace of God that he shows us in Jesus. Jesus takes the penalty and the effects of all of our sin on himself when he dies on the cross and brings freedom with him when he's raised from the dead. So when we believe in him and choose to follow him, we're united to his death and to his resurrection. Our old self is gone, it's stripped away, dead and buried, and we're made new in Jesus. And again, I, I keep talking about this idea of symbolism. Uh, the early church had a way of practicing some of the symbolism in the way that they did baptism. So when they did baptism, they had everyone strip off all of their clothes before going into the water. Uh, I think anyone who's getting baptized today may have just gotten a little bit nervous. We're not going to make you do that. Don't worry. Um, and then <laughs> the stripping off of clothes was meant to represent that getting rid of that old self. You're different. You're pulling all of that off. And then when they came out, they were given a white robe to symbolize the new life in Christ that they had. Uh, even some Christians went so far as to change their name after baptism, to say, I'm a different person. I'm no longer enslaved to sin. I am set free in Christ. And that means I'm someone new. 
Now, if you've been baptized in the past or if you're a follower of Jesus, um, or maybe if you're just getting baptized today, you might be thinking, that sounds really great, (laughs) but I don't always feel that way. I don't always feel like I've been made new or I've been set free from sin in my life. You might find yourself thinking or acting or making decisions in a way that does feel like it's still ruled by sin. And sometimes I think that makes people ask questions like, does that mean I'm not saved? Does that mean that my old self is still alive or that I haven't been set free? And I just want to reassure you today that you have been set free. When you choose to follow Jesus, you are made new in him. And at the same time, we still live in a broken world. And so our bodies are broken. We're going to continue to find sin, but it no longer has mastery over us. So there may be times where it's difficult or a struggle, but it's not something that has control. A former pastor of mine described it like this. He said, let's say you're a slave and you're living in your master's house. And he's always yelling at you, telling you to do this or telling you to do that. The the slave owner is kind of sin in this analogy. Uh, But someone comes along, in this analogy, it's Jesus, and he buys your freedom. So while you used to live over here and the slave master had control over you, you now live over here. And there's a wall that's in between these two dwelling places. But the problem is, is that you can still hear sin's voice calling over. You can hear your old slave master telling you to do things or calling out those things. It has no power over you now. You don't have to listen, but you can still hear that call sometimes. So it's a challenge to remember that we are set free. We no longer have to listen to that voice of sin. We can choose to be free in Christ. We have a new life, uh, and even though we can still hear it, we're no longer controlled by sin. And baptism represents that. It literally acts out your death to sin and your life in Christ through going into the water and coming back out. It represents the fact that you're made new, that you're set free, and that your old self has died. And that's a pretty life-altering event. It's the end of the world as you know it, and it marks the beginning of a life with Jesus. Which brings me to my second point. Because we're made new and die to our old self, we now view the world around us differently. Have you ever left a place uh, that you were living for a period of time? Maybe you went on a long trip, uh, or maybe you went and lived somewhere else for a time and then moved back. And when you came back, you might have noticed that things were a little bit different. I remember specifically for me when I uh, went away to college my freshman year, and then that summer went back home. I remember feeling like this is the same place it was, but it's also different. Um, And there were some things that were different. My parents redid a bathroom. You know, there were a few things where it was like, oh, this I can see, it's different. But a lot of the things I think felt different to me because I was a different person. I had grown and changed and learned new things while I was at college. And when I came back, I viewed the world around me differently than I did when I had been growing up. And the same thing happens to us on a spiritual level when we choose to follow Jesus and die to our old self. It makes logical sense, right? If we die to our old self and are given new life, then the world that we are familiar with and comfortable with as our old selves is going to be different. In the same way that Noah got off the ark to a different world, we come out of following Jesus to a different world. Why does this happen? I think it's largely because our priorities shift when we choose to follow Jesus. Instead of putting our desires at the top of the priority list all the time, we now put Jesus at the top of that list. And anytime you make a shift in priorities, 
It changes how you interact with the world around you. I know a guy uh, that I know from a previous church I was at who told me about how he experienced this when he started following Jesus. After putting his faith in Christ, uh, he felt led to make some pretty big changes in his life because of what scripture uh, talked about, about how to live for God. He stopped using drugs. He started working hard at his job as if he was working for the Lord instead of just working for the bare minimum to get a paycheck. He started to invest in relationships with his coworkers and start prioritizing reading his Bible. He joined a community of other Christians in the church to learn and grow alongside of. And all of these changes happened for him, but the world around him still kind of stayed the same. The people who knew him before he decided to follow Jesus were confused by this sudden change. They could tell something was different, uh, and they couldn't exactly put their finger on why. He seemed different to the world and the people around him, and the world seemed different to him. So for him, following Jesus was a life-altering event that altered not only who he was, but also how he interacted with the world around him. And this makes sense because we are called to be citizens of another kingdom. We're called to be citizens of heaven when we follow Jesus instead of citizens of this earth. While we still live here, but we know that our ultimate home is not here. Uh, And so it changes how we interact with one another and with the rest of the world. And when you think about all of this, it probably sounds a little overwhelming. Life-altering events, uh, end of the world as we know it, sounds like a lot. But just like God didn't make Noah go through all of these changes on his own, uh, he also provides a community for those who choose to follow him as well. Which brings me to the last point I want to make this morning. We're given a family to navigate these life-altering changes with. And that family is all of you. It's the church. For the guy I mentioned earlier, joining a church community was a critical part of how he learned to continue to grow and to follow Jesus, to die to his old self, and to live out the new life that he had in Christ. And I know that that's been true in my own life, too. I can look back and see how joining a family, joining a community of other people, was incredibly instrumental in how I learned to follow Jesus. And so we need people around us who get what it's like to find ourselves different from the world and learn how to navigate the new challenges that come with that. And that's part of why we do baptisms the way that we do at Resurrection City. We have it on a Sunday morning where we're all gathered to worship God together. And then we all go down to the lake together. We listen to the stories of the people who are choosing to get baptized. And then when they go into the water and come back up, we all cheer and celebrate because we know what it symbolizes. We know that this is a life-altering event. It symbolizes the, the choice that they made to follow Jesus and the new life that they have in him. And then we come back up here and we celebrate together with food because what better way is there to celebrate? And there's nothing wrong with doing baptism differently. Uh, there's many examples of how you can do that. The early church did it more privately, probably because they had people uh, stripped down to nothing before they get, got dunked. Um, And uh, there's not necessarily one right way to do it. But as Joel and I thought about, uh, you know, what does it symbolize and how do we want to do it? We thought about the fact that our world is so individualistic. We do most things alone or with our immediate family. And we only see each other if we have plans or if we may have a pre-scheduled thing in our calendar where we know we're going to see other people. So we see value in emphasizing that while, yes, baptism and and the choice to follow Jesus is an individual choice, but it's one that you don't do alone. 
You have a church family that's here cheering you on, 100% behind you, uh, willing to walk alongside you as you figure out what it looks like to follow Jesus. So I want to take a second uh, just to remind all of you, uh, the church today, that this is an important part of who we are. We are called to get involved in the lives of the other people in our church family. God has created us to thrive when we're in community with one another and actual deep community where we share our struggles, where we are honest and vulnerable with one another, where we talk about the real spiritual things going on in our life, the struggles we might have as we choose to die to our old self and try to follow Jesus. Bringing these things out into the light helps us navigate what it looks like to follow Christ and to grow in Christ-likeness. And I hope that that growth, this learning to navigate being different in the world, is something that we all want to do. Not just the people who are getting baptized today. Whether you are not baptized, whether you are baptized 30 years ago, uh, wherever you are on this journey of checking out Jesus and deciding whether or not you want to follow him, I hope that this idea of learning to grow together and seeking ways to become more Christ-like is something that we all uh, can value and work together. I know there are things that I need to grow in my own life, and I want people to be involved in my life to help me to do that. So I pray that we as a community can do that well together. Uh, I I thought I'd end with one more quote from this book I read um, from Peter Lightheart. He says, big things happen at baptism, but baptism's energy doesn't sputter to a halt as soon as we dry off. So again, whether you were baptized 30 years ago or whether you're getting baptized today, uh, it represents a big life-altering moment in your life, but it's not meant to be a single moment. Our old selves are dead now. Our lives are different. We can't go back to the way that things were. But we can move forward and continue to grow in our relationship with Jesus and in our relationship with one another. And that's a call for each and every one of us. So I hope that you can hear that this morning uh, and take steps wherever you are in that journey. But today we get to celebrate that special life-altering moment for a few people. So I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to continue to worship through song. And after that, I'm going to invite uh, people who are getting baptized today to come up, share a little bit of their story of why they chose to be baptized, and then we'll head down to the lake and actually do it. So please pray with me, and then we'll head into a time of worship through song. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this community, for this fact that you put us together Um, that we might learn how to more closely follow you, to continue to die to our old selves, and to continue to choose life and to choose you, even when the world around us is different from us and even when we struggle to navigate what it looks like to do that. Lord, I pray for the people getting baptized today uh, that this would just be one big step in their journey with you, that you would continue to be with them, continue to work in their lives uh, as you do with all of us. In your name we pray. Amen.